it's rare for people to ask us a lot of specific questions about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, but we have that opportunity today, and I'm really kind of looking forward to getting into it. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and thank you for joining us on our podcast of April the 22nd, 2010. Earth Day. This Happy is appropriate. Earth Day. <laughs> I've read a wonderful piece from Sharon Astick today about why she bloody hates Earth Day. And I can resonate with what she was saying, basically that we're hearing an awful lot of greenwashing. <clears throat> yes, I don't doubt it. When a, when a company talks about their, you know, sustainable soft drink, you know you're in trouble. So, <laughs> um, But that's neither here nor there. We are going to focus today on answering questions from our niece, Blakely, and our nephew, Hunter's class at Asbury United Methodist Church. Right. They're going through a creation care series, right? I believe that's what it's called. And... Um, just some terrific questions about uh, how we're approaching things here at Longleaf Breeze and why we're doing things the way we're doing it. So uh, let's get right into it. The first question was, what caused you to change your lifestyle so dramatically? Yes, that was a pre- it is a pretty drastic change from uh, teaching at a university, uh, going to an office on a regular basis to practice the divorce law. But From my own answer, I guess I could say that I wanted to learn to live more sustainably, learn to grow my own food to the extent possible, even though I don't have a lot of experience. More about that later. And um, also, we were looking for moving out to the countryside and maybe in the process getting closer to my mother, who lives in Montgomery, and a lot of our family members live in this area as well. so and 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 I like to be outdoors. I mean, it's it feels good to have um, physical work to do during the day and to be able to spend it outdoors. Okay. And okay. also the environmental impact. I think we can reduce our environmental impact that I, way. I think the question may be going to more than just why did we decide to move to the country. Okay. Um, I I sense that the question about is about. You know, why did you end up moving from 2,300 square feet in the suburbs to a little 600-square-foot apartment in a pole barn? Well, living sustainably is part of the answer to that. Okay. And what else? Um, We realized that we'd be healthier living this way. Um, We also have talked about resiliency as an issue that... Eventually, we are going to run out of fossil fuels. Um, water shortages will become an issue. And um, we, actually, we have a well. We're planning to harvest rainwater. So we think we've covered some of that. And uh, you might want to talk about your anticipated decline of civilization as we know it. Well, I, 
yes and no. You you don't want me to spend too long talking about it because I'll use up all 20 minutes talking about it. But uh, it is true that I do connect the dots in such a way that it now appears likely that our complex civilization will decline or collapse. Decline would be wonderful. I, I would love for our civilization to decline. Um, collapse is not nearly so appealing, and therefore I hope we never see that. Um, so um, that more about that as we talk um, in the next few weeks and months, but... Um, there is that negative piece that we are concerned about the way that civilization appears to be trending. But the positive piece is this is a really nice way to live. Yes. It's very pleasant to it live. It really this way. is. I agree. And, you know, the other thing I, I need to mention is that one of the people who's inspired me is Barbara Kingsolver in her book, Animal Vegetable Miracle. And if you haven't read it, I know you have, but if our listeners haven't read it, you need to pick up a copy and read it. It's just, it was life-changing to me because uh, Barbara Kingsolver, who a lot of people know her as a um, an author, a fiction author. She's written the Poisonwood Bible and some other, um, she's, she's a literary person, but uh, she also writes nonfiction and essays about the environment and about her love of nature and this book, in particular, Animal, Vegetable, Miracle, she and her family, she, she discusses in the book her family's decision to go for a year eating and growing locally. That is, eating only what they can acquire. I think it's like within a 100-mile radius or something like exactly that. And is. growing as much of their own food as they can. And, of course, they raise animals as well. Chickens, turkeys, um, beef, uh, or at least she, she acquires beef. So... Um, it just, her down-to-earth approach to it and the fact that she's, apparently they're all gourmet cooks in her family too, and they eat well. They they work hard, raise their food, and eat well. And it I think it's good. worth saying that you and I have designed a life for ourselves that is in that we intend to be low energy and resilient, but it is not Spartan. We, we live a quite comfortable life That's here. That's true, yeah. As I perceived that Barbara... Kingsolver yeah. does in her book that comes through loud and clear and she and Michael Pollan and other authors have talked a lot about uh, especially lately about what's in our food so and I think that would also be another um, part of answering that question is that we've begun to suspect <laughs> what's uh, the additives that are in, our, in food the food supply certainly um, the powerful lobbyists who try to control um, what goes into the food, who gets funded, et cetera. And I could do a whole podcast about just that. But suffice it to say that um, we became concerned enough about that most fundamental of issues, a, a safe and healthy food supply, that we're trying to learn what we can in terms of organic gardening so that at least we and our family and friends can can be resilient in the days to come. And can eat good, wholesome food right. that we know has been prepared in a natural mm -hmm. way. Right. All right. We ready to move on to the next yeah, question? Yeah, I think we better. What kind of chemicals and fertilizers do you use? Well, we're organic, 
So we try not to use any of the bad kind of chemicals. Although, as we know, organic chemicals are pre are present in nature, so we can't say we don't use any chemicals. That and would be... we are careful at Longleaf Breeze never to make all this That's statement. Right. So That's we right. don't ever say we will never do this or we will no. always do that. Right. There are some uh, organic um, fertilizers that we we haven't that you can order, you know, or buy from a store that we haven't bought or tried to use yet, but I won't say we might not ever do that. Um, mostly the compost that we, and the topsoil that we produce right here on the property. Been, That's the, the primary additive you're Yeah, saying. the primary yeah. fertilizer, if you want to call it that. Right. Yeah. Um, we do plan to introduce some dry molasses as a way of encouraging bacterial growth. And um, you also have plans to use some kind of, pesticide, I think, an organic mm, pesticide on the potatoes? Right. There's some uh, substances that we need to be spraying on the potato leaves. And actually, um, later on, I know we plan to talk about some of our, la our latest plantings, um, but we're a long way from any leaves emerging. I just planted most of them yesterday. I still have some more to plant, so I'm not even thinking about that yet. Okay. But we will, maybe even next week's podcast, talk about specific uh, what we've gotten in the ground. Yes, what we've gotten in the ground and specific. <laughs> it's been a busy week for Farmer Borden and her planting. Oh, that's a whole other, yeah, that could, we could talk about that too. But I did, it's the first time I've ever planted seed potatoes. And apparently, once you've gone to the time and expense to do that, then you want to do everything in your power to protect those leaves when they come up from pests and to help them grow. So there are some, as I said, I'll mention the specifics later on that. Okay. And the other thing we do, um, we have conventional pest control service uh, from SWAT uh, based here in Tallahassee, and they come, what, once a quarter? Right, to the barn, to, not to the outdoors. We don't use it outdoors right. on the food at all. And, of course, we use fossil fuels for the tractor and uh, power equipment that we use around here. So we're using gasoline and diesel fuel. It's a little kerosene when I you need to turn the heater on in the shop in the wintertime. Yeah, uh, I don't know whether that qualifies as chemicals, but um, we certainly do use some fossil fuels. Right, right. Okay, what about that next question? What is the efficiency of humanure? Is it as good as regular manure? Um, my, I, I, I bet you want me to answer that. That's got to be humanure yours. Seems to be my kick. I have not <laughs> used his composting toilet yet. Not to say I never will, but I certainly hope you will. Um, I will refrain from preaching you the same sermon you've already heard about our love of urinating and defecating in our drinking water. Um, so uh, suffice to say that human manure is probably better than cow manure or chicken manure or rabbit manure um, or horse manure. Uh, and the reason it's better is that we humans eat a richer diet. There's a lot more nutrient in human manure than there is in a typical animal manure. Um, it's also mixed with a great deal of organic cover material when it comes out of the buckets that we store it in. So there's a nice mix of um, the green. If, if you're into compost terminology, the green is the nitrogen-bearing material, and that's the human feces itself. And then there's the brown, which is, you know, leaves, twigs, um, what else? Shredded paper. Hay. Hay, yeah, all that's brown. And 
um, when that humanure comes out of the bucket, it's got a nice mixture of green and brown, and it's ready to roll. So, um, and I probably should say one thing to clarify for any of our listeners who've not heard you preach this sermon before, but when you say we urinate and defecate in our drinking water, what you're referring to is we, you know, you know, United States Americans. In other words, I, I hesitate to just say Americans. I can't speak for people in Latin America or in Canada, but people in the United States, most of our drinking water supply is coming from and going to, in other words, it comes into your home, you use the toilet, and it flushes it back into that same system. Isn't that what you're saying? That is exactly what I'm saying. We're not directly putting it in. And we it use does our go... drinking water to flush away our urine and our feces. Right. And most environmentalists say that's pretty wasteful. Correct. And it um, will stop. And we it will stop at some point. For long. We'll, we'll figure out a better way to do it. And my hope is that you and I are just starting doing it in a better way a little sooner than most folk. Right. And you didn't ask about this, but the way the toilet, the, the regular toilet that we do have, is a dual flush so that um, it has a lighter, it uses much less water than a conventional toilet. What was the exact, uh, like for a, a number one flush, it's like a gallon? Uh, no, it's like uh, nine or eight-tenths of a gallon for a number one flush and 1.6 gallons for a number two flush. So, you know, at least I'm trying to do my part along that way. Now, did you, you did write something in the blog this week about the um Oh, that's true. We did your... talk about um, the Where's My Humanure post. The, the deal there is how I was blown away with the speed at which the humanure is composting. Um, I put humanure out there, at the time I wrote the post, it was maybe two to three weeks before the post. And as I describe in the post, got to a point where I needed to turn the pile much sooner than I had expected. And I was stealing myself for what I thought was going to be this overpowering stench when I started, you know, rustling around in human feces. There was almost no smell, almost none at all. And what I did smell was just earthy. It's and already I broken guess down, that's right? Two or three weeks worth of compost. Clearly, nowhere near ready to be put on anything. I mean, it needs to um, finish off. We're really thinking a year of adding to the pile, and then a year to cure. So it'll be two years before we start using that on our ornamentals. And as we've mentioned on the podcast before, our plan now is to simply use the humanure for um, ornamentals and not for food on our food crops. Right. So, you know, unless you're worried about that, um, it will just be. But we've got plenty of ornament, ornamentals and more to come, so right. we'll have lots of uses for that humanure. You know, I am just um, I'm watching the time here and realizing how many questions we have and how few we've yeah. covered. Yeah, well, we better move on then. Okay. <laughs> What's the trade-off for the annual for the amount of heat output from your wood stove versus the carbon released in the air? Um, I think the short way to say that is trees as they grow, sequester carbon. When they die and rot, they give off carbon. If we take them and we burn them instead, they give off carbon faster 
but no more than they would if they just died in the woods and rotted. So what we're doing by burning wood in the wood stove is simply speeding up the rate at which the wood gives off carbon. Um, that's the easy, that's the quick way to say it. Um, what we're not including in that is the fossil fuels we have to use for the chainsaw and the splitter and the tractor to tote wood around the property. But right. basically, it's more or less carbon neutral. Yeah, so, and, and we do, as far as you did mention, didn't you, that most of the trees, we don't just go out and target a perfectly healthy tree and say, let's cut that down for firewood. We have so many trees here that are just either damaged or doomed. Yeah, so or doomed, true. Doomed as in the loggers who logged for pines on this property either pushed the tree over, nicked it, damaged it beyond uh, its ability to recover. So that's one way that we are able to. Yeah. It's a tree that would have to come down anyway um, or it might fall. Uh, okay, well, I think that's a good answer to that question. I hope I was, the next question is, I hope I was right, Blakely saying, I hope I was right in saying you also burn peat in your wood stove. They want to know where you get that. Nope, don't burn peat. We don't burn peat. Uh, we have found, though, that uh, there are a number of different types of wood that work quite well. We sure have, and that's been a nice surprise. Right. Oak, of course, as you can imagine, hickory, uh, beech, if we have it. But also sweet gum, pine, all of them seem to burn just fine. And they all uh, catch well, smoke for about 20 minutes, and when you've when they're nice and caught up and burning, then there is no visible smoke at all from our chimney. Yeah, so uh haven't tried peat, but uh, we don't own any and don't know where any, where any is around, so and I think we just don't need won't. to mess with it because yeah. uh, the wood we have seems to work just fine. However, we do need to say um, the wood we are burning has been seasoned for at least a year. So it's nice and dry, and we keep it under cover um, all during the summer before the burning season, so it's... Um, there's no rain on it or anything, so it's sort of perfect wood right. for a wood stove. Right. Our next question is the compost pile. Do you have one? I know the answer to that is yes. And what do you do with it? What's your method of collecting scraps? You want to take that one? Yeah, well, we do have one, and uh, we actually have two. One is for the humanure that you've already heard about, and the other is for, as you've said, everything else. It's, it's certainly our table scraps, but... Um, Yard compost, like if we've weeded the garden or, uh, I guess, leaves or something. As long as, in fact, we wouldn't mind taking, um, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before too, we wouldn't mind taking compost from other people's yards if we could be sure it was free of any kind of pesticides or herbicides. Sure. Um, we were just talking today, you haven't don't know this yet, at the lake about if when we do a lake cleanup, what do we do with the compost? I said, well, we'll take it, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah leaves or something. We're, just so we know it hasn't been um, sprayed with anything. But uh, where we keep it is in a big pile out. In fact, you just moved it this past week to closer to the uh, uh, barn. We can see it pretty clearly now. But um, the problem was critters were getting into it. I don't mean just the good kind of little critters that you want to break down the uh, the scraps. <laughs> I mean, like a huge fat possum 
that we sitting saw. in our compost oh, pile, that just made gorging himself. And I understood why he was so fat after that. But um, the solution to that so far, I'm going to knock on wood while I say that, seems to have been uh, that you put uh, some of the deer fence. Uh, we had a little deer fence left over, and you guys on the podcast have all heard about the deer fence. Hexagrid fence is pretty um, fine, finely meshed. We just put encircled the compost with that hexagrid fence and, and secured it to the hog wire with hog rings and then you have a t-post nice and simple and straightforward with a t-post yeah it's anchoring. anchored with a t-post and so far again knocking on wood no no mr possum back for lunch so yeah we'll see how that works out but right now we think it's uh, going to do the trick so yeah. um what do we do with it what do we do with the compost oh we let it turn into great compost stew and then I put it on my plants. Yeah. <laughs> it does great. Um, our What we end up with is this rich, dark, lovely mixture. I just love compost. Um, and it's not recognizable as any of those things we put into it. The paper, the napkins, the shredded um, food, the corn husks, the chicken bones, the you know, all that stuff becomes part of the humus, and uh, it's just wonderful. And we yeah. put it right on top of the uh, veg hill right. and use it for growing and, and strengthening everything we're doing there. And as long as it's not, what do you call it, hot? I'm saying quotation marks there. Hot meaning you don't want to be able to recognize, oh, an apple peel or uh, an orange peel or something. It That's needs right. to not you, look like the food yeah. anymore. If you it can be. recognize it as food, then it's probably not cured. Yeah. So uh, we use it for that. Okay. Okay. Next Our question. Next question is, one girl says she has a black thumb and wants to grow herbs. Do you grow any and do you have any tips? Well, the quick answer there is, yes, I do grow some. I do have some tips, but I first want to say to your friend that, um, and you personally, if you're listening to this, I too used to say I have a black thumb or brown or, you know, not a green thumb. And one of my really good friends who's an avid gardener and has been growing things for a lot longer than I have. Go ahead and say her name. Gloria Clemenson. Shout out to you, Gloria, if you happen to be listening. She taught me a long time ago that um, she resisted being classic, uh, characterized as having a green thumb because she said, you know, I just work hard. I take the time to learn about what I'm doing, to read about it, and then I work at it. It's not a gift that I naturally have. Um, I'm beginning to resonate with Gloria's comment. Absolutely. That's not to say that some people might... It is might, hard work. It is hard work, and it's not that some people might not have more of an affinity toward it. Or, it, Like I have a good friend who said, um, for, I've ever, Jan uh, has said she ever since she was a child, she knew she wanted to grow things. I can't say that. I was a little bit of a, I was a tomboy, but I didn't really care about growing anything as a kid. But I have come to it later in life, and I really do enjoy it and want to learn more. And I have a lot more motivation than I did before. But what I've learned is that it's never too late, that we're all educable to some extent. So uh, don't beat yourself up about it. Just go out there and jump in and have fun. And what we did last year is we started with a small garden set and garden and said, yes, we're going to have some failures and it's okay because we learned from that failure. You bet. That was a great idea to do that. Even though we really did, you know, it was clearly not efficient as a way of converting labor into food. Right. 
but boy, did we learn a lot. We really did. As far as the herbs in particular, I have had very little luck. In fact, I've had no luck with starting herb from herbs from seed. Um, and I have a really good friend um, who used to teach with me at Sanford who told me the same experience. She would bring in all these lovely basil leaves and you know different different things and say she never was able to start them from seed she grew them from plants um last year i was able to raise some beautiful basil including a an african blue basil that we received as a part of the delivery from our csa uh, that thrived and did well that came as a plant um sage parsley uh, oregano, our oregano is going crazy. It's like mint. You know, what, what you hear about mint is true. If you don't know that already, it goes, it just will take over. Um, but, and, and par I said parsley, sage. Um, rose, I bought my first rosemary plant this year. What I'm trying new this year from seed is I'm starting two different kinds of seed indoors. Thai basil and um, some flat Italian parsley. The jury's out on how that's going to work yet. We don't know. We've just put the seeds in. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can look over here and see them here on the sh case. and mm -hmm. We watch them every day to see if we see, see if a little anything. green. Yeah, I, I got kind of a late start. I just planted them the other day. So, you know, but I, I'm just going to quit even trying to do, even though the, pa the package directions often say, like cilantro. I've bought some cilantro pack, uh, seed packets that say it doesn't do well starting from seed. Just put them in the ground. Well, putting them in the ground has not worked well for me. So I'm probably just going to try, if I can't start it from seed, finding a source of that plant that's already a plant. Now, maybe when we, when we build our greenhouse next year, I might maybe be a little so. braver. Right. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I stand on the whole herb question. Next, uh, I guess the last question we're going to deal with today is how do you cut your grass? Um, and I would say the first thing is we don't, we probably don't cut grass the way most people who live in the suburbs would expect grass to be cut. For us, cutting the grass is something we do just to keep it manageable. Um, for example, I go outside and pee at night, and I don't want to have to worry about waking up a snake when I right. do. <laughs> So we keep it short enough so that that won't be a problem. But when we do, we use a regular lawnmower. We got a, it's a fairly new one, Lawn Boy self-propelled little lawnmower that uh, we use for mowing the little grass that we have around here. And then, of course, for the larger areas like the orchards, we have um, bush hog. And I, I use the bush hog for the larger areas. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, we are anticipating the day when the areas that are grassy are shaded so the grass doesn't grow quite so fast. But we're not there yet. We, just have to do, we still have to do a pretty good bit of bush hogging around here. Well, um, next week, we have a raft of new questions. Um, what appliances have we given up? Um, tell us about the tankless water heater. Uh, what are our plans for the future of Longleaf Breeze? We can have a whole 15 or 20 minutes oh, all know. about that. Uh, are you planning to use solar panels? And uh, what household cleaning products or personal hygiene products are we using? So we'll look forward to dealing with those questions next week. And we hope you have a good week.
You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.